and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership Series. My name is Scott Miller, and I serve, as you know, as your weekly host and interviewer. You know, most weeks when we invite a guest to come on, we follow a very similar format. And when I say most weeks, I mean every week since the inception of this leadership podcast, which, by the way, I mentioned is the fastest growing and largest weekly newsletter dedicated to leadership from Franklin Covey. Most weeks we bring an author on and the production team picks a book that they've written, whether it be from a CEO, a best-selling author, a business titan, or someone who might be a social scientist or a researcher dedicated to a problem that we think our clients, our subscribers might be interested in. It might be how to be a better frontline first-level leader. It might be issues that unit-level leaders are challenged with, building a high-trust culture, executing on strategy. We go deep into a book. And here's what happened. This week, our guest is going to be the renowned and prolific author, John Gordon, who many of you know from the famous book, The Energy Bus. But can you believe John Gordon has written 18 books seven of which are international bestsellers. He's approaching five million copies sold. So I'm on the plane several days ago, finishing their energy bus. I'd read two or three of his books, and I, and I text my colleague, Drew Young, who is the booker for our show. And I say, Drew, I have an idea. I want you to call up John Gordon in anticipation of his interview and ask John, would he be willing not just to talk about the power of a positive team and the energy bus, but would he be willing to talk about perhaps six, seven, eight, nine, even 10 of his books on the program today? And John immediately said, I'd be happy to. So today is gonna to be a water ski across some of the profound concepts that have made John Gordon a household name if you're in business or in any kind of leadership capacity, but increasingly on the tales of Stephen Covey with five million copies sold. John Gordon, welcome to On Leadership. Thanks for having me. Stephen Covey better look out. Stephen Covey better look out. You know what? He would be proud to be eclipsed by someone like John Gordon. John, welcome to On Leadership. Honored you're here. You're crisscrossing the nation, writing and speaking, keynoting. We're so delighted that you took some time out of your schedule to speak to all of our subscribers. Uh, before I start with this sort of, you know, fast water ski review, so buckle up, everybody. It's going to be fun and engaging. Uh, I'd love to have you spend a minute, maybe tell us about your journey. You know, who are you and what were you doing prior to becoming this prolific author and kind of what's your purpose and mission? Yeah, I was just kidding about Stephen Covey. I admire him so much and I've learned so much from leaders like him and Ken Blanchard. Yeah. And years ago, I was really struggling with my life. I was miserable and, and negative and my wife came up to me and she said, you know, I love you, but I'm not going to spend my life with someone who makes me so miserable. You, you need to change. And... I agreed to change and I knew I wanted to be more positive. I had to become more positive. So I started to research all the ways that I could. It was during the emerging field of positive psychology. And that led me to start writing these positive tips every week that I started sending out to, to friends and family. I started a newsletter. I had five subscribers, my mother, my brother, my best friend from college. And I started to share this message out there. Well, that led to eventually someone seeing it, wanting to do a book with me which two years or three years later led to me writing The Energy Bus in 2006, came out in 2007. And then I started to work with all these different leaders and organizations that started to read that book. I had been in business myself. I was a restaurateur. I was an entrepreneur. I worked during the dot-com. So I had a number of business opportunities along the way. But I knew that ultimately this is what I was meant to do was to, to share this message. And so as the book started getting out there, I let go of the business stuff, and I just really specifically focused on leadership, on building and developing positive leaders, great leaders, and then also 
building strong teams. I know that's my mission and it's what drives me every day to make teams stronger and to help leaders become better. John, I want to get on uh, the energy bus pretty quick. It's been out for, gosh, 12 years. It's consistently every week a Wall Street Journal bestseller. But before I do that, I want to have you swivel around your chair and pick up the book behind me that's, I think, written for kids because that's a great book. Would you just take that book behind you? I have three sons, five, seven, and nine. I'd love to have you just talk about the energy bus for kids for a minute. Yeah, the energy bus for kids. It's... Um a book that's based on the energy bus, but it's for kids and it teaches kids how to overcome negativity, how to overcome adversity and how to overcome bullies at school. Bullying is a big problem. So this is about teaching kids that their positive energy is greater than all the negativity, that we have to help them stay positive through their challenges. So a lot of schools are, are using this book, the energy bus and uh, for kids and they're reading it to their kids and yeah, I just get a lot of great emails about the response and how much kids love it and what it teaches them more important. John, the energy bus for kids has taken off. I'm going to order it today for my three sons. Is it more a book that parents read to their kids or do you think it's a book that kids read for themselves? Well, it depends on the age. Early on, parents could read to their kids, but as they get older, they can read it themselves. It's funny, we also have some middle schools that will actually you know, share with kids and they can read it because it's just such an easy read. I've had some sports teams read it because it's such an easy read. Hey, we don't need to read a big book. Let's read this book and learn these principles about staying positive. It's funny you say that because as you know, Dr. Covey wrote the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This book is in its 30th year, sold 30 million copies. You're a big fan and follower of Dr. Covey, although he's passed now. His son, as you know, Sean Covey, wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Teens. This book has sold, I think, close to 10 million copies. It's insane. And you'll find many organizations that will buy the teen book for their people just because it's actually a bit of an easier read and the, and the examples are so much more relevant and easy to digest. So similar to Energy Bus for Kids. Yeah, we think we have to make it complicated, but so often people really respond to what is simple and actionable and can they you know, take action on it. Wrote a book called The Coffee Bean just came out recently. And yeah. the coffee bean is such a simple message. It has pictures in it. It's only a 20 minute read. And yet it's been probably my fastest best-selling book that I've written. You know, it came to my house two days ago. I've not read it yet, but I have it on my counter. My colleague Drew bought it for me. Okay, let's get started. We buckle up. We're gonna do the water ski of your lifetime. If there ever was a literary speed round, this will be it. John, the energy bus is uh, profound. There's a reason why it's you know still 12 years in, a perennial bestseller. Give us a few minutes on what inspired you to write the book, what it's about, and kind of maybe water ski across some of the 10 points in the energy bus. I met a bus driver in Denver one day, and he had this amazing positive energy. He was sharing it with all of us. I asked him why he was so positive. He said, because I love life. He said, I love you. I love me. I love God. He said, it's all connected and I love it all. And so one day I was walking, I had this idea that I should write a book about a bus driver who changes a passenger's life and how they have an impact on this passenger. Well, it turned out it was a woman bus driver as I started to write it. Her name was Joy and Joy teaches George the 10 rules for the ride of his life that not, not only help him become a more positive person, but a better father, a better husband. And it's about getting his team on the bus and moving in the right direction with a shared vision, focus, and purpose. It's about the fact that every one of us will have to overcome negativity, adversity, and challenges to ultimately define ourselves and our team's success. And we have to stay positive through all the negativity. And the funny thing is when I wrote that, 
It wasn't very popular. It was rejected by over 30 publishers. But as we've you know, moved forward in this world over the past 12, 13 years, right, with all the negativity, it seems like people are grasping this positive message yep. more than ever now. And more teams and more organizations are actually using it. So it's more popular now than it was five years ago. It was more popular five years ago than it was in 2007 when it came out. John, I find it especially validating, and I'm in the book business, right? I've authored or co-authored two books myself. I have a few books coming out. I helped to lead the book division for Franklin Covey. And so I'm pretty intimately acquainted with the New York Times list and the Wall Street Journalist. I find it especially validating for you that if you look at the list every week of business bestsellers in the Wall Street Journal, you'll see you know, these political books, a lot of books around how I made a billion dollars, and you know, kind of just you know, sort of badass stuff, and here's how we invaded this country from a general. And then there's always John Gordon on the list, often with a short story, a parable, something that's kind of fiction that brings to life um, these common principles. You're always right there with these other, sometimes, you know, like I said, how to become uh, a great business leader through all my lessons. Why do you think beyond just the positive message this book has done so well? I think the energy bus is just a special book. You really can't explain it. I think the rules are based on truth. So there's a lot of truth in it. If you look at the principles of love your passengers and how to overcome negativity and no energy vampires allowed and feeding yourself with positivity on a daily basis, because if you don't have it, you can't share it about having a vision of, of where you want to go. So I think these principles are truth. I think it's a very simple, fun, engaging, powerful story. And I think as you read the story, the lessons become part of who you are. And it's something that people just seem to, to pass on. But why it took off, I have no idea. I honestly did not expect it to do so well. I'm amazed at this journey. I'm humbled by this journey. It's yeah. just sometimes hard to believe of who's reading it, where it's being read, and the impact it's having. But I just know that I, I was meant to write it. I know I was meant to have this book out there. And I do love talking about the principles. And the best emails I get are people who have read it, who have been down, who have been negative, yeah. and it turns them around. Yeah. They become a, a better leader. They become a better manager for their team. Some have even overcome their negative thoughts and thoughts of suicide, where yeah. it's actually saved some lives. Yeah. When you hear that, you know, if I just saved one life, then this was a book I was meant to write. So I can't explain why. I just believe it's simple. And I believe the analogy of the bus, right, getting on a bus together and moving in that direction. And that iconic, you know, yellow school bus, yellow slash orange school bus on the cover, right? What it represents is, is for some reason, uh, you know, was, was, is iconic. I wanted a regular bus and the publisher, publisher said, no, it needs to be like a, a school bus. I'm like, yeah, but this is not about school. This is about uh, business. And yet that was what they went with. I went, okay, fine. Sure enough, it was a great idea. I'm glad they, they uh, convinced me to do it. And now a ton of schools are actually using the energy bus as well. So it's not just businesses, but it's a lot of schools and also a lot of nonprofits and hospitals. And one of my favorite things is a lot of sports teams, the Rams, the Dodgers, Clemson football. So having the opportunity to work with a lot of these teams is very exciting too. We all see ourselves a little bit in George's life and we hope to see some of ourselves in Joy's life as well. John, let's move on to The Power of Positive Team. It's the one I actually read last. Um, thoroughly enjoyed this book. This is a different book. It's not a parable, right? This is kind of a collection of stories, of experiences, of insightful best practices for leaders 
Really enjoyed this book. Very validating to what we teach here at Franklin Covey. Especially liked your idea, and I won't quiz you on this. On page 120, you talk about the Tell the Truth Mondays. If you remember that concept, can you talk about that and what else um, are you most excited about in The Power of Positive Team? Yeah, love that book. And the Seattle Seahawks, Seattle Seahawks, Pete Carroll, has a, a, a philosophy, an approach that every Monday they gather as a team and they do Tell the Truth Mondays. And this is where they tell the truth of the mistakes they made. They tell the truth of the feedback, the constructive feedback that people need to hear. And no one takes it personal because they all know that they need to have these difficult conversations in order to get better as a team. So they have the difficult conversations. They confront the bad habits. They confront the mistakes. They address it so that they can all improve and get better. We often think about positive teams, right? That it's about Pollyanna. It's about staying positive all the time. No, great positive teams address the issues. They are focused on getting better and they don't take it personal. And here's the thing. I wrote that book because over the past 12 years of working with teams who have read The Energy Bus, I learned so much from all the best teams I've worked with. So I wanted to write a book that would help great teams or help actually any team become great. So this is what makes great teams great. These are the principles and the practices of great teams. And I wrote it so that teams can read it together and if they would read this book together, they would know what it takes to be a great team. They would know the principles. They would know also what they're lacking. Like, oh man, we have some negativity here. We have to address that. We don't have a shared vision or greater purpose. We need to address that. We're not connected. And if we're not connected, we're not gonna be committed. So we have to make sure we address that. So I really lo love what that book is doing with teams and working with teams based on that book. I'm actually going to the Indiana Pacers right now to go work with them and they all read this book and we're going to talk about the principles together. You know, John, many of your books uh, follow a similar process. They're all fairly short, which I love because we both know that most people don't read the last half of most business books because the last half is fluff in service to your publisher. Most of my books that I've authored or co-authored are a similar length. You also have very short chapters in terms of indexing the themes. But this book isn't, I mentioned a parable, right? You have some parables and some stories. How do you pick your writing style for the theme that you're focused on for that particular manuscript? Well, the last fable I wrote was The Carpenter Before the Coffee Bean. I just, I just knew with the power of a positive leadership and the power of a positive team, I was meant to write it not as a fable, but as really a, a gathering of stories and examples and practices. In those books, I wanted to create a framework. And in that framework, share real life examples. So I'd written all these fables, but I wanted to do something a little more, I, I say serious because, you know, it shouldn't be serious because fables are serious too, but a little more for the leader who really wanted some practical ideas. Energy bus is a lot of great principles. And then the power of positive leadership and the power of a positive team are those principles with actual, with actual practices and actions you can take and stories that back it up. So I think it's sort of like a validating kind of approach that that really shows what the fable principles can do when put into action. John, let's talk about the carpenter, speaking of which, and I love the fact that two of your most prominent and consistent endorsers are two of the greatest business storytellers of our generation, Patrick Lencioni and Ken Blanchard. So what a great compliment to you that, you know, people who like your style, who compete with you in the same genre, in the same sort of style, also endorse your book. So well earned. Talk about the carpenter. That book just came to me when a carpenter came to my house to do some work to build an entertainment center. And yeah. it was during the Great Recession. And I asked him if he was struggling during the recession. He said, no, I'm actually busier than ever. 
And when he said that, I realized because he's so good at what he does, because he's a craftsman in a world of carpenters, that he will always be busy in any economy. So it really became about caring, that craftsmen care more. They also love what they do. And then I realized, you know what? The best leaders serve others. So I wanted to write a book about being a craftsman or a craftswoman. I wanted to write a book about leadership, about the greatest principles of all. And so this was a fable that I was able to put together. And the main principles are like designing your masterpiece, building with optimism. And then the key parts, love, serve, and care. That if we truly love others and we love what we do and we serve others, not ourselves, you don't have to be great to serve, but you have to serve to be great. And we show that we care. We will stand out as a leader. We will stand out in any business that we're trying to build. Don't focus on building your business. No, be a craftsman or craftswoman. Love, serve, and care. And your business will exponentially grow from there. John, your books aren't gender specific. A lot of times the main characters are men, not always. Sometimes they're very subtly appear and emerge to be you know, females as the leader of the book. I feel like it's a great book. I don't know why I'm saying this, but for like, for women to give their husbands for Christmas or Thanksgiving or New Year's, it just seems like a lot of leaders, regardless of gender, but this is the kind of book my wife would buy for me. So uh, kudos on the carpenter. Let's talk about the seed, um, finding purpose and happiness in life and work. That is my wife's favorite book that I've written. And it's about a, a young man named Josh who goes on a journey. Yeah to find his, his purpose. He is struggling at work. His boss gives him two weeks off and says, look, you either decide you want to work here or go find something else, but I'm going to give you two weeks to really decide if you, this is what you truly want. He goes to a corn maze with some of his friends and he meets a farmer who gives him a seed and says, find out where to plant the seed and your purpose will be revealed to you. And so Josh and his dog, uh, Dharma, which was my dog's name, uh, goes on a journey to find his purpose, to find his, his happiness. And it really is you know, a powerful book about what really drives us, where our purpose comes from, and how we need to be, how we, how we can be happier. We live in a world that is always seeking happiness, but no, don't focus on seeking happiness. Decide to live with passion and purpose and happiness will find you. So The Seed is a great book for anyone who's graduating college or someone who has lost their way or wants to know their purpose to read that book. Or anybody who's 51 who's looking to rediscover their purpose or uncover their mission, right? I think, um, I think any, I, honestly, I think it's like a midlife book. It's a great- I've had happen. It is. It's a great read for someone like me that's, you know, three quarters away through their life and over halfway through their career and their purpose and meaning their legacy is starting to look at them in the face because they've got, you know, 20, maybe 30 years left and their kids are kind of growing up and it is, it's a masterpiece. What I love about your books, I love, I, love, I love a lot of things. One is the covers are very thoughtful. They're very inspiring. I love the fact that you always put all of your books on the inside back sleeve. It's genius because I'm on this plane and I'm reading the book and I'm thinking, okay, well, I've read that one. I haven't bought that one. I'm buying it online in the plane. And I call up Drew and say, you know what? What the hell? Just buy all 15 of them. I'm going to interview the guy in all of them. And I'm sure it's what happens. So it's a genius, a genius machine behind that. Let's talk about um, soup. A recipe to create a culture of greatness, something that all of our subscribers are interested in. We understand that leaders are the linchpin of creating great culture. People don't quit their jobs. They quit their boss and their culture. Talk a bit about soup. 
Yeah, before there was the power of positive leadership, there was Soup, which is sort of a follow-up to the energy bus, which is really a book about creating a great culture. Like this yeah. is how you build a great culture. And the main gist is that actually comes from my grandmother. Like she loved to cook and she made the most amazing soup. And it was, it was matzo ball soup. I had a, a Jewish grandmother, an Italian family. And when she was making her soup, she was loving you. And when you were eating it, you were loving her back. Well, after she passed on, other people tried to make the same recipe, but it never came out as good. I'm convinced her love made the difference. And having been in the restaurant business, we know that different chefs could do the same exact recipe, follow it to a T, and it still comes out a little different. So we can't separate the person from the sandwich they're making. We can't separate the soup maker from the soup. And so who stirs the pot determines the quality and energy of, yeah. of what is in it. And so we can't separate the leader from the culture. This is the main point. So how you lead, the culture you build comes from the essence of the leader that you are. And this is a recipe to build a great culture, to be a great leader. Sean, we use at Franklin Covey this on leadership forum to allow us to raise up some of the influence of our own thought leaders we've had on Corey Kogan, Stephen M. R. Covey, Chris McChesney, Todd Davis, and a dozen others. We also use it as a forum to raise up people who we find interesting. Never before have I used it as a blatant uh, a promotion of one author's multiple books, but I think genuinely the, the collection of your thinkings and writings is so intoxicatingly positive and not, not soupy positive, meaning that like really tangible. What inspires you to write the next title? I mean, next we're going to talk about the training camp. Do you have a process or a formula? Do you go for a walk? Does your wife whisper to you? What kind of is the process for 18 books? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. It's, um, you know, and, and thank you for sharing the books. It's something that, yeah, I'm, I'm not very self-promotional. I do love to share the books that I've written. It's not because I want to sell books. I, I truly mean that. It's because I want people to read the books. I didn't write these books to sit on a shelf. I want people to yeah. read them so that hopefully they can, you know, be impacted by them. And the more that they've out, they're out there, the more they're selling a lot of copies, the more you hear from people who have benefited from them and kids who have read them. And that's what I love about training camp. It's, it's being read by adults, but also teenagers and having a really big impact on, on people's lives. And it's my favorite book that I've written. And my process for that book and all books are get up in the morning and start writing. If I get on social media or I start doing email, I cannot even think and I won't be able to write. So I have to really write first, then take a little bit of a break and I go for a walk. And while I'm walking, I practice gratitude and I honestly pray. And, and as I, I pray, the ideas just start to come to me. It's, it's amazing. Every book I've written has taken about three and a half weeks to write. The longest has been four weeks, which was the power of positive leadership and the power of a positive team. So every fable is about three and a half weeks of pure inspiration. So I get these ideas and I don't take credit for it. It just really comes to me. And then I go back and then I start writing some more and I'll write down some ideas. Like when I wrote the energy bus, I only had three rules, not 10. And as I wrote the book, it just yeah. somehow evolved. And I didn't know I even could write a book when I wrote the energy bus because I never wrote a fable before. So after writing that process, I realized, oh, maybe this could happen again. I didn't know. So I wrote a second book, the no complaining rule. Same thing happened again. Wrote a third book, same thing happened again. After about the fifth book, we moved and changed home. So I was concerned that I wouldn't be able to write in another home. I was really a little worried about that. So I was like, maybe we have to stay friends with the people we sold to. I'd have to go up, up to their, their office where I was writing and go right there. And 
sure enough, I was still able to write, you know, the other books, you know, in, in the new home with the same process. So it was the process, not the place and the inspiration that came through. And so that's, that's the process. And I write, oh, and then before I go to bed, I actually will write some more ideas and I'll actually read what I wrote. I'll edit it a little bit. And as I'm going through it, that will give me a few more ideas. And then the next morning I wake up with these fresh things that I have to now uh, attack and, and put down on paper. Very painful to write. I always feel like I'm birthing something, although I've never given birth. So I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to uh, you know, offend women, but, but I, it feels like a, what, you know, birthing a book, nowhere the pain that I'm sure of, of having a child, but there's a, a pain that's associated with it and it's a discomfort. And it's really, my wife calls me the mad scientist during this part, but when it starts to come out, I'm starts to share it and it comes together. And then the carpenter, when you don't know the ending and then it comes to you on a walk and you write it and you realize the ending of the carpenter matched the beginning perfectly and it was there all along, you just had to wait for it. It's like the coolest feeling when it finally comes together. And training camp is about an undrafted rookie trying to make him the NFL, he gets injured and special coach, Coach Ken takes him under his wing and starts teaching him the winning habits that separate the best from the rest. And it's about a book about excellence, like what the best do better, but it's also about we have to overcome our fear, find our faith to ultimately be all that we're meant to be. And it's the journey we must all go on. So I think that's why I love it so much. And one of my, my dreams is to make it into a movie and it's something I'm working on uh, right now. Okay, more on that for a moment. I've not read Training Camp yet, but it's on my list to read this afternoon when I fly to Orlando for a speech myself. Uh, I'm no John Gordon. Uh, I've authored a book, co-authored a book, a couple in the queue. When I'm out speaking for the company, John, inevitably I'll have four or five members of the audience walk up to me and ask me when I'm signing their book or something, hey, what was your process for writing? You know, how do you, how do you come up with your stories? What do you do, John, to nurture your creativity? Any kind of rituals at all beyond what you descri described to us? How do you keep your stories fresh? What do you do? It's really those walks. It's those walks of gratitude and prayer and making sure that when the ideas come, I'm writing them down because if you don't write them down, you might forget them. So I write them down when they come. If I have a phone with me, I'll make sure I, I, I put it in the notes section. So it's making sure that you are being diligent and obedient to the ideas that are coming and writing them down and just writing every morning. If I wait to write, I can't write. I have to write in the morning. I edit at night. And it just seems to be a process that, that works for me. But each person must find their own process and their own routine because it's not the same for everyone. So I don't believe it's the routine that makes you successful. I believe it's the energy and the heart behind the routine and the essence. So you and your essence have to find the right process that works for you. But I also know that too many people are, are afraid to write. They are worried about being perfect. I just want to encourage them just to write the yeah. book that you feel that you're meant to write. Put it down on paper. Don't worry about the outcome. Go back and edit it afterwards, but just write the book that you want to write for you. And afterwards, you can go back and edit it to see if it's something that's viable for others. Well said, John. Do you keep a journal with you? Do you keep some kind of capture device that you take with you in your walks? How do you, when you say write stuff down, what's your process for that? Yeah, I'll just bring my, my phone with me yeah. and I'll, I'll write down in the notes section. Yeah. I will keep the phone uh, in airplane mode so I'm not getting emails yeah. or alerts or yeah. texts. Yeah. And I'll take that walk and I'll, I'll basically you know, type it into the notes of the phone. So if people are seeing you walk on your next walk around Florida, you're not texting, you're actually writing the next bestseller. So, okay, this one's going in my bag for my flight to Orlando. 
the no complaining rule, positive ways to deal with negativity at work. I love the endorsement from Kim Blanchard. Get off the complain train and read this book. Talk about the no complaining rule and why you wrote it. No complaining rule is a simple fable, a story about turning around a culture. And it's based on a, a true story. A real CEO, a real company called PPR, not far from where I live, I know the CEO, they implemented a no complaining rule. And every year they are voted one of the best places to work. And they, are, they really believe, oh, they're out, by the way, they're outperforming their competition 10 times the growth. And they truly believe it's because of this rule that helps them create a positive culture. And here's the rule. You're not allowed to complain unless you come with a solution. Love it. And so every complaint is a catalyst for new ideas, new innovations, new processes, and how to get better. We want complaints. We do want complaints because they make us better. But you must come with solutions. We don't want venting, and we don't want mindless complaining that will eventually sabotage a team. See, the biggest mistake that leaders make is they do not address the negativity that exists on their teams. So they allow the complaining to persist. They allow the energy vampires to have their way and they allow the negativity to breed and grow and eventually that will sabotage the team. This is a very simple, powerful way and a lot of organizations have implemented this rule from reading the book. You, you really focus on an organization that builds a great culture, that addresses the negativity, that listens to people, empowers them to come with new ideas and in doing so, you transform negativity into positive solutions. John, you've popularized many concepts and terms throughout your 18 books. I love this term, energy vampire, right? Whenever we think of it, we think of immediately somebody else in the organization. But the energy vampire isn't always someone else, right? Often it's us. But often it's our legacy for some of us. How does someone tell or self-reflect on why and if they are the energy vampire? And what advice would you give someone to be a transition figure in their own life from being a vampire to being you know, a giver of positivity? What a great question. And you know what, that was me. I was an energy vampire and I didn't realize I was, or maybe I knew I was, but I wasn't willing to look at myself until my wife gave me that ultimatum of changing. And so I know what it's like to be an energy vampire and we all can be, and I'm glad you asked that, but so often, we don't realize we're the vampire. Energy vampires cannot see their reflection in the mirror. Ooh. So they don't know they're an energy vampire. But I think it's helpful to ask people, what's it like to be led by me? What's it like to work with me? Am I positive or negative? You know, how, do, how are you receiving the energy that I'm bringing every day? And that's the journey of the energy bus. I think you, you asked earlier why, you know, why it's resonated so much with so many people. I think it's because they see George, who's initially an energy vampire, and they see him turn around from negative to positive. And they see that in themselves. And we all know that we can be more positive. I remember my, my daughter one day came up to me and said, Dad, you need to read your own book. <laughs> I was being energy. That hurt. I was being, that hurt. Yeah. Well, it actually was good because I was like, you know what? You're right. I'm, I'm being negative today. And uh, I need to turn it around. And so we all could, you know, make changes that improve ourselves. And also she wrote a college essay and she said when I was, when I was young, my mom struggled with her health and my dad struggled with himself. Wow. But he, he worked to become a more positive person. As he did, he started writing these books and started sharing this message and, and other people started to change. And if they change and he could change, the world could change. You better believe it brought tears to my eyes because I saw how my, my one decision to be a more positive person yeah. impacted everyone around me. So yeah. I think it's really important to know, I want to be the best version of myself so I can share that with others. I need to feed myself so I can feed others. 
I need to be positive so I can make a greater impact on the people around me. And, and wanted to be a more positive influence is what we're all about, right? That's why, you know, I write what I write. It's why I go give the talks I give. And it's doing that hopefully one person at a time. So for each person, it's about them looking within, asking for feedback around them and wanting to grow themselves. Oh, we have an exercise that's really good in our training that we do positive leadership training. We have people rate themselves on a scale of one to 10. How positive are you? And also how well do you communicate with others? One to 10. And then what would make it a 10? And then you go and ask each member of your team on a scale of one to 10, how well do I communicate with you? What would make it a 10? Is it positive or negative? And they get amazing feedback from their team that will help them hopefully make it a 10. John, our time is coming to a conclusion here. I want to do a quick uh, speedier speed round. Uh, the power of positive leadership. What concept in here are you most proud of that's perhaps different than some of the other you know, themes of the book around positivity? I've not read this one yet. Okay, it's just what makes great leaders great. And what I love about that book is the principle of love and accountability. That great leaders lead with love and accountability. Too much accountability, not enough love. Well, then you're driving all the time and you're burning people out. Too much love, not enough accountability. You have a great family. You might have a lot of love, but you're not getting better. You're not helping people become great and you're not becoming a great organization. The best leaders lead with both love and accountability. Alan Mullally, who turned around Ford, I interviewed him for the book. He told me, John, you got to love them up, but you got to hold them accountable to the values, the culture, the principles, and the standards of what you believe in, what the culture is all about. And I just love that, love and accountability. That's how great leaders lead. You know, I'm a sucker for books at point of purchase. I left these last two to the end. Uh, talk about, I love these covers too. Uh, I'd love to know more about kind of how you come up with these ideas. The Positive Dog, talk about this, John. Yeah, feed the positive dog. Yeah. It's that analogy of we all have two dogs inside of us, a positive or negative. Whichever one you feed, that's what grows. So this is a little fable about a negative dog in a shelter that has to learn to be more positive. And Bubba the big dog teaches him how to be positive. So it's taking positive psychology and the science and the benefits of, of positivity and, and teaching it to the reader using examples, using this fun, engaging story that will bring a little tear to your eye at the end. I promise you that in a good yeah, way. Yeah. It's heartfelt, but you're learning the lessons along the way. I mean, John, what's fascinating is obviously there is a uh, dominant theme, right, is positivity. But these books keep outselling each other. People like me buy four and five copies, and we know kind of what's going to happen, but the way you come at it from an angle brings a whole different level of inspiration to readers. And I'm the first. I mean, I read, you can see, you know, hundreds of books a year for all this, these interviews that I do on two podcasts, and I can't eat yours up enough. I left this one for the end. The Shark and the Goldfish. Uh, surprise, positive ways to thrive during waves of change. I thought this one is especially relevant because everyone's dealing with change in their organizations, in their life, the cliche, it's the new normal. Talk a bit about The Shark and the Goldfish. Yeah, every organization is dealing with change, and this is sort of like, who moved my cheese? But really focusing on, on the fear that we experience as we're going through change. And we, we look at during the Great Recession and companies that were fearful and resisted change were crushed by the wave. Those who, <clears throat> who embraced the change rode the wave to a successful future. So this is about riding the waves of change and your perception of change and how you see change determines whether you will thrive or be crushed by the wave. So it's staying positive through it, but it's also about your perspective, how you see change. See, I believe we, we like change. We just don't like transition. 
And so the transition is what makes us uncomfortable, but ultimately we like, we like what change produces. So we need to stay positive through the change and use it for growth, not for a negative purpose, but for growth. And if we do, we will create great change on the other side of it. So this is about a mindset and a perspective that an organization can have as they're going through change. And like you said, the theme is positivity, but they're all different nuances of it. And some are more about serving with positivity. Others are about, you know, being excellent with positivity. Others are dealing with change. And so it's not just about positivity. It's those nuances that really we can incorporate into our lives. You know, John, I'm going to get hundreds of emails when this episode airs. People are going to ask me, did Franklin Covey buy the John Gordon organization? Why didn't you review <laughs> 10 of his books? No, we didn't. Uh, and here's why I wanted to feature John Gordon today. I think you mentioned it earlier. I think we're living in a time of toxicity, of negativity, of where politicians make their opponents their enemies. And I think regardless of who you support, everybody is fed up and sick of it, right? Everybody wants to pay their bills and, and provide for their children and be a good friend and leave a legacy. And you've given people a great ongoing path, 18 books, seven bestsellers, nearly five million sold. I wanna just give a platform to you because we are an abundant organization. Franklin Covey likes to help our clients. We like to build capability, effectiveness in people, positivity. So John, I appreciate all you're doing to offer to the industry. I hope your organization thrives well. What's next for you on the horizon? I'm guessing there's a lot of the pipeline. Can you give us a sneak peek? We didn't review eight of the books, but what's next um, <laughs> coming out? Well, I'm just really honored that you had me on. And, and what you said is, is so kind and allowing me to share this message means a lot. And if people don't want to buy the book, don't buy the book. You can get it at the library. So you can literally get it a lot of libraries now around the country. To me, it's not about selling books. Just I really do want people to read them so they can take these messages. And now there is more negativity than ever. And so we need to stay more positive than ever through it because it's really scary what's going on in the world. So it's about each person realizing that they are the coffee bean. And when you are the coffee bean, you're not the carrot. Because if you put a carrot into hot water, the carrot weakens, it gets softened. When you put an egg into hot water, the egg hardens. So we can allow all this negativity to harden us or weaken us, or we could be like the coffee bean that when you put into hot water, it transforms the water into coffee. It transforms the environment. And that's our jobs. Our jobs as leaders and as people is to go into our organizations, into our schools, into our communities, and transform the negativity with positivity. Each person has that power inside them to create the world outside them. So that's why we do what we do. And you are an amazing organization. You are doing that every day. And so I just you know, can't thank you enough. What's ahead for me? Uh, we, uh, my wife and I are actually writing a book called Relationship Grit. And it's about our ups and downs in our marriage, how she almost left me about how we turned things around, how you know, I was a jerk early on, how I made mistakes and how, you know, again, through it all, we stuck together. And so many people just give up. And I don't think we give up because it's hard. We give up because we get discouraged. So this is about how can we stay encouraged in our relationship together to stick through the things that, are, that make us maybe want to leave, but ultimately stick together for our families and, and build great relationships and communities in the process. So relationship, great. We're working on that. And I have a, a quote book surprise called Stay Positive. <laughs> That's a bunch of different quotes from all my favorite tweets because I tweet a lot. And so these are like a lot of tweets, a couple hundred of them that just a little quote book that every day you can turn to any page and find yeah. a quote that might be right for you in that day. Yeah. 
John, such an honor the coffee bean arrived today or this week on my doorstep. I'll be reading it in the coming days. Best of success for you, John Gordon, the insanely contagiously positive author and speaker uh, of, of course, the book everyone knows, but not everyone's read. So pick up a copy of any of his books, especially The Energy Bus. John, if you were to advise someone that's having a tough time in their career, their marriage, finding their mission, finding positivity, would you give someone uh, some advice to say, you know what? Go to the library or the bookstore and pick up which one of your books first. Is there like a, a, a launching point that you think is a good starting point for people? Yeah, always the energy bus. I would definitely okay. say just start there, read that book and, and um, read it together. You know, read it with your, with your partner, read it with your spouse, read it with your, your business uh, team. Just start with that and then you'll have the, the common language and the dialogue and the principles to say, all right, we can start taking some simple steps to start to turn things around. John Gordon, such an honor. Look forward to Relationship Grit, and we'll have you back on when that book comes out. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, John, and thank you for uh, taking the time today to listen. I think this was meant today to be a bit of a different interview, right? But I hope you enjoy the wisdom behind kind of running through John's series. They all have, of course, a theme, but every one of these, I think, is a great way to reinforce in us the power of positivity in a tough time when it is easy to be negative and, and vitriolic. So I hope you've enjoyed On Leadership, and we'll see you back here next week where I promise to discuss only one book on the On Leadership series. If you're not subscribing, visit franklincovey.com. Click on the On Leadership button. Subscribe. It's complimentary. comes out every week on Tuesdays, about 8 o'clock Eastern time via email. It includes an interview just like the one today with John Gordon. It's both in video and podcast format, as well as a downloadable tool from Franklin Covey's toolkit and a blog written by me about an insight from my learning from the author or the guest that day. Visit franklincovey.com and subscribe to On Leadership Today. Rate it, rank it, review it on all your favorite podcast channels, and we'll see you back here next week with a new guest.